The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew from the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of St. Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and can be found on page 1524 in your pew Bible. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, they say, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. In, uh, well, over the last decade, there is a very large industry that has emerged in America, and it's become wildly popular and embraced. And you may ask, well, (laughs) which one is that? Well, I'll tell you. It's the genealogy or the DNA industry. There is a a lot of money being made in that right now. The records that I found um, were quite old. They were dated back to the year 2014. So six years ago in the genealogy business, um, they touted $2 billion in revenue each year. $2 billion. And it is still thriving today because so many people, they want to learn about their family history. And a quick search, which that's what I did prepping for this, um, reveals that there are more than 40 companies, 40 different links I counted, that are ready to take your money and your spit. That's how they do it. You know, you know that. 
He just said spit from the pulpit. To tell you all about who you are. So I, okay, I'll just stop with the spit. Why would there be a need? Why would we see such a demand for this kind of a service? I'm sure you're all thinking, you know, from your own point of view right now, and you probably could tell me, well, let me take a stab at it. I think that people want to know where they came from. More specifically, at least for many of the older baby boomers, um, of which I just made it in 1964, I'm a baby boomer, um, there's a concern a desire to learn about the family medical history. That they want to know if heart disease, did it run in the family, or cancer, or diabetes, or hypertension, or maybe even depression. What sorts of health issues did my forefathers live with or die from? That I may be well, I, I don't have enough things to worry about, so I need to be concerned about that too. I'll pay good money to do that. The old adage is that knowing where I come from or came from helps me to understand where I am going, or said in another way, those who don't know and learn from their history are doomed to repeat it. I don't subscribe to that, but, you know, maybe there's some truth in it. I think you need to be educated and, and know things. But yikes. You know, that's a lot. Is this a human nature? Are we looking for comfort through this? Are we looking for peace that these companies might offer us? Are we looking for power and control? Or is it just that I, I just need to know? Well, we do know and we do see and we do hear daily that the world that we live in, the world that we play in, and the world that we work in is sinfully sick and dying right now. And it's scary. Let's just think about this. Over the last couple of weeks, think about the news that you've heard about riots, about looting, about COVID-19 statistics, about churches being closed and liquor stores and weed dispensaries being open. We're hearing about terrorism throughout the world. We're hearing and seeing bombings and continuing murders that are perpetrated on the innocent in the name of a false god. And that is all very scary stuff. That's not even taking into consideration all the other sickening garbage that we're exposed to every single day. Those things are like pornography or promiscuity, or adultery, or greed, or covetousness, theft, murder. And we hear and see the defaming 
and the criminalizing of anything that even remotely resembles Christianity. It's those Lutherans. <laughs> we haven't heard that yet. But we're hearing things that are being embraced as socially acceptable and endorsed by even the biggest celebrities and athletes and career politicians. In fact, at this point, being a faithful Christian in the midst of all of this deadly sin is a pretty lowly, lonely, and and dangerous endeavor. I'm not alone. You're not alone. But sometimes it feels like it, doesn't it? Now, this is uh, not meant to be a pity party or my opportunity in a hostage situation to air my grievances to you from this pulpit. This is a proclamation. Let me ask you this. Is any of this terrifying sinfulness, is any of it brand new to humanity? I mean, honestly, are we that ignorant to think that in our pride, can we really believe that no one else in all of history has ever had to deal with immorality or terrorism, disease, and disobedience to God? Could we really think that? Sometimes I I think I find myself falling into it, but Honestly, are we the first ones to ever have it so bad? I hear the words of my mother, oh, please. Right? No. In fact, if we look to Scripture, and I love the words of our Lord in the Old Testament lesson this morning from Isaiah 51, um, verses 1 and 2, he says, listen to me. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Further, it says, look to Abraham and to Sarah. Now, God first spoke these words thousands of years ago to faithful Israelites as they were trying to deal with the sin that surrounded them that had infiltrated their ranks. Their relatives up to the north were, well, they'd already been swallowed up by the Assyrians. They'd been conquered. And things weren't looking good down in the south. Their religious and political leaders were bad, to say the least. They were calling for appeasement with the enemy. And in fact, they were in so many words saying, everyone play nice and practice tolerance. They would try to win the enemy's favor with gold and riches. These these leaders 
were calling for and enacting policies that were pleasing to the very people who were out to destroy them. But they were not pleasing God who created them. They were not pleasing to the one who provided for them and redeemed them. The faithful, the faithful Israelites were few in number. Many of their own friends and their own family had already forsaken their faith and glommed on to the more popular or sensual and rewarding beliefs that were common in the practices of the day. The faithful Israelites were looking around and seeing that they were in trouble. They would ask, what do we need to do? How can we fix this? How can we fix this? Does that sound familiar? Maybe we hear today, the church is growing old and dying. The church is not relevant anymore. It's not hip. How can we fix it? How can we make church cool? How can we grow the church? How can we get more money and more young people? Listen to me. Listen to me. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham and Sarah. Dearly beloved, and you are, you are beloved to each other, to me, and to the Father. These words are every bit as relevant today as they were when our forefathers heard them 2,700 years ago. Our Lord calls us back with those words. Look to Abraham, look to Sarah. He calls us back to our genealogy, where we came from. Realize just how profound the language of rock and quarry is. God used these very specific terms and images for a reason. He does not waste words. Let me ask you this. How much life is in a rock? Can a rock produce? Have you ever heard about a male rock going into rut? Or a female rock going into heat? Can two rocks procreate and make a, a little rock, you know, a chip off the old block? You poor people. Thank you for laughing at that. But of course not. A rock is dead. A rock is lifeless. Just like Abraham was 
in terms of procreation and lineage. God even tells us that. He tells us it multiple times in Scripture. Romans 4, 18 and 19. Hebrews 11, verse 12. He says this, using these exact phrases, that Abraham, against all hope, and he was as good as dead, and the same thing could be said of his wife. Sarah was likened to a quarry or a cistern. Cistern is a closer translation from the Hebrew. We know what a quarry is. It's a large stone pit, right? And what of a cistern? I'm sure many of you know what a cistern is. But for those who don't, basically a, a cistern is a kind of a, a cement pit or a pool that is designed to hold water. So what we are told of Sarah's condition is this. God says that her womb was basically a dried up, empty quarry or a cistern. It was an empty pit that had not a drop of life in it. It was incapable of sustaining or providing life. Keep in mind, keep in mind, my friends, this, that we're talking about our forefather and foremother of the faith, as good as dead, dried up. Now, how did Abraham and Sarah come to conceive and give birth to Isaac, the child of promise? Well, God did it. He granted it. God made it happen. From two empty, lifeless sources, a rock and an empty cistern, God himself produced an abundance of life, of which we are part of today through faith. And this takes us back to our present-day fears. This takes us back to our concerns and the realities of right now. This takes us back to the very words of our Lord and Savior in response to Peter's confession. Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And on this rock-solid confession, that's a better translation than the one I read to you. Not on Peter, the rock, but on this rock-solid confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, this world is scary. That is no doubt about it. It is a scary place, but it always has been scary. Our family history shows this. Ever since sin entered the lives of Adam and Eve, we've been running and hiding and scared. It's not new that each generation fears that the church itself seems to always be on the brink of failure. 
For each generation, each generation of Christian fears that the church is going to die. That it's going to die off with their generation. Or the next generation will always be the one to fall away and kill off the church. Predictably, predictably, many a faithful Christian with the best intentions tries to fix the problems and save the church. We have our solutions. There are companies out there that are designed to build your church for you. Just send your money and they'll come in and they'll work a miracle for you. We have our cures. We will build up and save our church or we will die trying. My fellow redeemed, do you realize how silly this thinking is and, and how it really sounds? Do you realize how such statements, even with the best intentions, they really fly in the face of God? Do you realize how such statements and intentions are, how old they are, how, how long people have been saying the very same thing through the generations? If it's to be, it's up to me. Faith is not a spectator sport, but faith is faith. And you're not building it. It was given to you. Don't worry, says the Lord, you have my promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Whose church? Jesus, his church. So what? So stay faithful. Christ promises this, remain in this rock-solid confession of faith and I will take care of the building up and the protecting and the nourishing and the leading. That's his promise. And take note of this. This is Christ's church, and he does the building, the protecting, the nourishing, and the leading. He himself says so. He says, I will build my church. Again, we are being taken back to our family history. We are being taken back to see where we came from. And what we went through, also that we can confidently and fearlessly stay the course of what we have been faithfully taking and headed on. Our Father has always and will always take care of his people, his assembly of the faithful, his church. The church on earth has always been persecuted. The church on earth has always been in trouble. The devil and his minions are always seeking ways to infect, to sicken, to kill off God's holy bride and her children, her children of faith. And yet, at Reformation Lutheran Church in Westminster, here we are. Here we are. By God's grace, the gates of hell have not prevailed. Our Father has always provided. He's always protected and always delivered us. Oftentimes in spite 
of us and our efforts. Our family history shows us from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses, from St. Paul and St. Peter to us today. And that is that his people have always been saved and redeemed through simple faith alone in him. Are you worried or concerned about all the hell that, that's breaking loose in our world today? If you are, listen to this, because Jesus says to us, give attention to me, my people. Jesus says, look and listen to me. Fear, love, and trust in me in all things. My righteousness draws near. In fact, it's so close you are in its very presence right now. Take and eat. Take and drink. This is my body and my blood given for you. He says, fear not, for I am with you always. Now, I know you're scared. I know you're concerned. You're not alone. You've never been alone. And again, our family history shows us this. The deadly, sinful stuff that we struggle with today is always prowled around. It's always prowled around our family looking for someone to devour. And that's why we proclaim Christ and Him crucified. We look to the cross where upon the outstretched arms of our Savior, where He died a death for you and for me. And we ask, what do you have to fear? Because Jesus said it is finished. It's His body was given for you. It was His body that has accomplished all the work of redemption on that cross and through His resurrection. It's His body of life and victory that continues to work on and build up and protect His church. The very church that stands firm on the solid rock of His all-redeeming death and resurrection. His death, His body, His church. Christ in Him crucified is God's plan for His children, His family. From the Son comes the forever relevant and unfailing gift of life and deliverance for you and for me and for all God's people for all time. Here in this font, here in this bread and in this wine, here, this morning, is your past, your present, and future, and a source of peace and comfort that you have as a baptized child of the household and the family of the almighty living God. In the name of Jesus, amen.